welcome to the second episode of Flying Podcast. Flying Podcast is a series of podcasts aimed at aviators in the UK. On this podcast, we'll be chatting to David Cohen. He'll be sharing his experiences of flying to Israel last year in a diesel-powered PA-28. So, uh, let's get straight into the interview. I'm with uh, Dr. David Cohen, who uh, recently flew down to Israel um, in um, a PA-28, a diesel. Uh, David, first question for you. Why Israel? It was a charity stunt. It was a fundraising event. Uh, a Jewish charity that was raising money for a disabled home in Israel. Uh, it's the second time they've done it, and the first time I didn't get the opportunity to join in. But this time I did, and they got five planes to do it. They usually do it by car. Uh-huh. They've done it annually by car for a number of years, but the chief executive is a pilot, so he decided this was a good idea to raise money. It was basically a fundraising charity rally. Right. So an organised trip? It was an organised trip, yeah. Right. So that takes a bit of the legwork out of organising? took a lot of the legwork yeah. out of it, thank goodness, because yeah. the paperwork was horrendous. Right. Uh, it was a PA-28, as I've said. Um, we are part share owners in a petrol yeah. PA-28, but you chose to hire a diesel PA-28, correct? Yeah, the, the problem with um, the, pa- the petrol one that we use, or the Avgas one that we use, is the endurance on the, the standard PA-28-161 that we've got was only a, just under five hours. And when you take off a little bit for diversion and a little bit for reserve, it gave us just under four hours on a regular basis. And right. two of the legs... Uh, without headwinds were going to be four hours and had we had tailwinds we'd have been all right but Mm -hmm. you can't guarantee that beforehand subsequently as it so happens it it was a good job because one of the legs we actually did was five hours on the way back because we had some problems Uh, and the diesel one has an endurance of anything up to about seven hours wow so we decided we had two choices actually one was to split some of the three choices we had one was to split the legs and do an extra stop. But because we were slower than some of the other aircraft, it would have made it a very long flying day. The second option was actually to hire a petrol engine, Avgas engine one with a longer endurance, but they're actually quite expensive to rent. Okay. And the third option was to rent this diesel one. So we chose the diesel because the diesel fuel, which is Jet A1, is so cheap compared mm. to, fuel, to yeah. ordinary Avgas. Yeah that the savings we made on fuel paid for the rent of the aircraft, so it actually didn't cost us any more to rent an aircraft than to fly our own. Okay. And how does the, uh, the diesel compare with our petrol engine version? Well, in co- number one is in cost. Yep. Obviously, the fuel cost us about 80 cents, euro cents a litre, which is what, about 60p a litre, whereas yep. we're paying... 120-odd, 130-a-litre at the moment for for petrol. And in terms of the controls, are they pretty much the same? Flying it, although we had to be checked out on it, I couldn't find that much difference. It's it's an interesting aircraft because it just goes on and on and on and on. And there's only one control. You either push it forward to go forward or back to slow down. And it controls everything else, which is mixture. And the propeller, it's a variable pitch propeller which it does automatically so you set the control stick on it's a quadrant like like we're used to but you just set it at a percentage output of power Mm -hmm. and then it chooses revs and pitch itself and you can hear it change if 
Yeah. I suppose if there's a change in air, you just hear it change. And if you want to go faster, you just push it forward a bit yeah, more. It's a bit like driving an automatic car, sort of. Very much like driving an automatic car, yeah. yeah. Apart from that, the other controls obviously the same. Yeah. The startup is similar to a petrol. No, the startup is actually vastly different. It's all electronic, which is, from, from what I can see, the only downside. Uh, because it's electronic, it, it relies on the battery. Whereas uh, the aircraft that you and I fly, Steve, is, doesn't rely on a battery. You can fly, if the battery goes, you've got, you may not have communications and you may not have one or two other things, yep. but you've still got power. Yep. With this one, you haven't. You've only right. got the life of the battery. Right. And if, that, if the alternator goes, for example, which is a common problem in yep. aircraft, uh, and in fact that happened to one of the people in our convoy, mm -hmm. his, his alternator went, he didn't know. And his battery ran flat. He couldn't put his undercarriage down. He had no communications, but he could fly the plane. With the FADEC, which is what the diesel is run by, uh, although it's electronic and it does all its checks itself, it starts itself up, it, you just put your finger on the button, it goes through it. Mm -hmm. If the electrics go down, you're in trouble. Uh, where did you rent the aircraft from, Dave? Uh, we, we rented it from Cab Air, which is a large uh, flying school. You've probably heard of them in Elstree. Mm -hmm. And um, they agreed to rent it to us on a flying hour basis, so we just paid for the flying hours. Right. And did you fly from Barton where we're based? No, we started in El the, the whole The whole group met up in Elstree. There's one from Newcastle, three from London, and us from Manchester. And we all started from, from Elstree on a early, very early, cold, wet Sunday morning in May. And uh, it's quite a long trip there. I presume you didn't know, do it all in one go. Uh, what sort of route did you take? Well, altogether, there and back was 17 legs. Wow. Uh, we had eight going, seven coming back, and two internally because we went, we, when we landed at Ben Gurion, we actually then flew down to Elat for the weekend to mm -hmm. spend, have a bit of R&R. &R. Great. Um, so the route took us, we started off in Elstree. Uh, early Sunday morning, and we flew down over the. We flew out towards Dover, over the Channel, down in France, down to Dijon was the first stop where we had a refueling stop. What sort of height would you go over the Channel at? We went about uh, three thousand feet, three and a half thousand feet. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. More confident than I would be. <laughs> well, we discussed it. There are. We discussed it. I, I just felt height was safe, but actually, it's a, much nicer to look out at that height. And there are restrictions on height in certain places, so rather than be going up and down like a yo-yo, we yeah. just decided to choose a, a reasonable enough. height. But we tried to get to about 3,500 feet on most of the flight. Okay. Occasionally over high ground, obviously, we went higher, but yeah. most of the time we were about 3,500, 4,000 feet. Okay. You say your first stop was in Dijon? The first stop was Dijon. That you would have to notify customs, would you, before you arrived there? Uh, well... Uh, <laughs> I'm sorry to say, I'm not quite sure, because the organiser did right, most of the paperwork enough. for us. They knew we were coming. He'd pre-organised. He also pre-organised that everybody had the right fuel, because four of the aircraft were Avgas, so they had to have Avgas. And we were Jet A1, so we had to make sure that there was Jet A1 as well. Mm -hmm. uh, unfortunately, all the airfields did have it. So we had to make sure that all these airfields had both. Right. Did you have any problem paying by credit card? No, everybody, everybody took credit card. We, we, took, we were advised to take cash just in case, and yeah. we had to take cash for all the different countries. Most of them were Europe, but we also stopped in uh, Cyprus, so we had to take Cyprus money right. just in case, but actually they took credit cards. So you said the first stop was Dijon? The first stop was Dijon. And where after that? Roughly what route? Well, from Dijon, we then flew straight down to the south, of, south coast to um, 
to um, the Cannes area and then straight across to Corsica. So the first night, Sunday night, we stayed in Corsica. Um, And we stayed overnight there and planned the the next day. The next day we flew straight over to Naples and then right across Italy and down to Corfu on the second night. Then the next day we flew down through Greece over the Corinthian Canal to Kos, where we stayed another night. Then we flew from Kos to Cyprus, and we stayed overnight in Cyprus. And then the, the last day, the Thursday, we flew from Cyprus across to Israel, and they allowed us to land in Ben Gurion, which on the main runway, Brilliant. which was absolutely amazing. Yeah, a lot of water there. Yeah, what was the <laughs> longest trip over water there? The longest trip over water was actually on the way back. We went from Tel Aviv Airport, which is a small yeah. uh, airport, straight to Kos because we wanted to avoid Cyprus. We had a few problems in Cyprus. Tried to extort money out of us. Yeah. So we did that was five hours over water. We, and, and the chart was interesting because it was mainly blue. <laughs> it was not really land on it. Yeah. We paid a lot of money for a chart with no yeah. land on it. blue on it. <laughs> so did you take any special equipment with you, like life raft? Uh, we had a life raft. Uh, we both wore life jackets when we were flying over water, which in fact was virtually every day. Yeah. We, had, we had life jackets on. Uh, we had... Um, we had a locate, an automatic water-activated locator beacon, mm-hmm. and we had flares. Wow. We also had something called a heliograph. What the hell is a heliograph? Well, the heliograph, I found out afterwards, because it came in part of the kit, which, incidentally, we rented. We rented all these things. There's yeah. a firm that rent all these emergency equi- special equipment things. It, it's like a reflective mirror with a point in the middle, so you point it at the sun, yeah. and then you aim it at a high-flying aircraft or something, right. and it's supposed to pick up the reflection. Fortunately, we never got to try it out. Pleased to say. <laughs> yeah. Um, what sort of your experience with officialdom? You touched on somebody there trying to rip you off. Uh... Well, most of the places were extremely good and extremely helpful. Greece was not as helpful as France and Italy. Mm-hmm. Some of the airfields insisted on us having handling agents. Yeah. So, of course, the handling agents just take over and do everything. Yeah. And sometimes I wonder whether we wouldn't have just been better in all places saying, right, we'll have a handling agent for the extra 20 or 30 quid. Yeah. You know, they do everything for you. Some of the places didn't have handling agents, so we couldn't do that. Yeah. Was um, all this charge sort of pre-organised by the organisers, or did you have to you know, negotiate on the day? Um, theoretically, it was all pre-organised, but one or two places it just didn't materialise, as you can expect. I think Cyprus was one of them. Um, but most things ran extremely smoothly. The, the biggest problem we had was actually four aircraft wanting the same fuel. Mm-hmm. So they had to queue up, at, especially in the midday stops. Yeah. You know, they had to queue up. We were all right because we were the only one wanting jet they want, yeah. except we had to queue up behind 757s and 737s. Nice. The same delivery van came out to us as came out to them. Excellent. Interestingly enough, I'll tell you a little anecdote. I can't remember whether it was Corfu or Kos. They sent this huge articulated shell lorry with Jet A1, a double tanker. It must have held hundreds of thousands of gallons. And they said, how many do you want? And we said, 100 litres, please. (laughs) They must have used more to drive over to us than we took. It just, 
it just um, it was a huge thing, bigger than our aircraft. Mm-hmm. Um, documentation is always an issue when you're going abroad. I presume if you're going as part of an organised trip that a lot of that was organised. Well, as you know, PPLs are always scared to take their aircraft abroad because everybody says, oh, they'll clamp your, vehicle, your aircraft if you haven't got your VAT receipts yeah. and you've got to have this, that and the other. They gave us a list. The organisers were tremendously good at this. They gave us a list of all the documentation, some of which I must admit I'd never heard of. Mm-hmm. So we got it all together for our aircraft, and of course at the last minute we changed our minds. So fortunately Cab Air put all the documentation together for us and put it in the file together with the tech log, which we had to fill in on a daily basis for each flight. And we we weren't asked for one single piece of paper, except our our, uh, pilot's licenses and passports, but not one place asked for anything to do with the aircraft. Of course, if we hadn't had it, yeah. they'd have asked for yeah, it. Sure, you'd be impounded somewhere. <laughs> well, yeah, I suppose. So. <laughs> uh, air traffic control language problems. We didn't have any language problems. We had one or two problems with them picking us up at a distance. Uh, Rome was fairly difficult. We just could, they couldn't pick us up. Whether it was because of the mountainous region or whatever, I don't know. But language was actually not much of a problem. We had one problem with air traffic control where we'd agreed the route with them and then all of a sudden they said, sorry, you can't come this way, or words to that effect. Will you please reroute to... And they gabbled off a name that we'd never heard of. And remember, there were four aircraft then, actually. One of them stayed behind. So the lead aircraft suddenly said, excuse me, sir, I don't recognise this place. And they told us where it was. It was way out of the... So our leader went absolutely berserk with them and eventually managed to persuade them to let us go through because they said that there was an active um, training zone or whatever they call it there. And he said, is it active? And they said, well, we're not sure. And he said, I've checked, it isn't active. And they said, oh, well, we'll check. And they checked and they said, okay, you can go straight through. And so we went straight through. But that saved us a lot. Of, we started re-navigating because they sent some of us north and some of us south. Mm-hmm. Uh, one of them they sent north and they said then reroute south yeah. and everybody's quickly re-navigating and reorganising but uh, that seemed to work out uh, the only other problem we had with air traffic control was one day we left Greece and they said they were on strike and they wouldn't let us take off yeah. whereabouts was that? I think that was in Corfu yes it was in Corfu because we were on our way to Dubrovnik and we wanted to fly out the west coast of uh, Montenegro I think it is yeah. uh, actually the pilot I was with was desperate to fly up there and they wouldn't let us take off and they said no the strike takes on in two hours and you'll be in air traffic control of Greece and it won't, we won't let you go so our leader managed to um, go up to, and the people in the tower were very very helpful in both directions going out and coming back and he was desperate to find a way to help us out and the leader happened to mention that we were doing a, this charity flight. He said, oh, you're a mercy mission, are you? And we said, yes, yes, yes. He said, OK, you can go. <laughs> but as long as you fly straight out of Greek air traffic space, uh, air, airspace rather, into Italian airspace, they handed us over to Italy and then everything was fine. Then we landed at Dubrovnik. But apart from that, we had uh, no, air traffic pro- no air traffic problems. No. Well, that sounds good. Uh, I must say the foreigners, were the, 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 the French and the Italians, were extremely good. I said about the high ground and not being able to pick us up. When we left Cyprus on the way to Israel, they told us, you must call Israel air traffic, uh, Ben-Gurion approach, 180 miles out. 
and if you don't, they'll shoot you down. <laughs> so I'll tell you what we did. We called them 180 miles out. Now, as you know, mm-hmm. radios at 4,000 feet don't work at 180 <laughs> miles out. So we took off from Cyprus, and we did a bit of navigating around the coast. And at about 180 miles out, we went on, and we called Ben Gurion Approach. This is Golf Charlie Echo Echo Victor. And they said, Golf Charlie Echo Echo Victor, this is Ben Gurion Approach. How they did it, I have no idea. And that would all but be over sea, wouldn't it? This was all over sea. Yeah. And we were only at 4,500 feet, maybe, max. But they knew we were there. How interesting. And they, it's the busiest air traffic I've ever come across. Yeah. Because they handle the whole of the Middle East. How they do it, I think they're limited to 40 minutes each. Yeah. Uh, but 180 miles, I still don't know the answer to it. It's one to find out. Because one of the things you learn when you're doing your licence is the distances that... I know. That 4,500 feet, 180 miles, it's not long It's not going to work, is it? (laughs) But it did. We were shocked. We expected to have to go back to Cyprus and... Nope. Anyway, we didn't get shot down, I'm pleased to say. (laughs) (laughs) We did have some problems with with, with, uh, F-16s, as it happens, in Cyprus. On On the way back, when we left Stadov, which is a small airfield in Tel Aviv, we flew out towards Cyprus, but missing Cyprus to go straight to Kos. Uh, and we were flying at about three and a half, four thousand feet. And then we got a call from air traffic to say it must have been Cyprus air traffic. It wasn't. It wasn't Israel. We'd left them by then. To say that uh, have we got sight of four F-16s that they've been trying to call up but won't come back to them. And uh, they knew two of them were at 10,000 feet above us and two of them were at 2,500 feet below us. And they were undergoing training manoeuvres, we assume. Mm-hmm. They didn't know whose air, fi- air force they were because they wouldn't come back to them on any frequency. Wow. And they just said, just maintain your height and let them worry about you and just yeah. keep an eye out. Which we did, I can tell you. <laughs> but we didn't see them and we maintained our height very, very carefully. Yeah. But we didn't see them. And we kept hearing them on all sorts of channels, calling out, but nobody responded. Of course, they're on UHF, aren't they? Well, they're on both. Yeah. Um, uh, fortunately, their transponders were working, presumably mode Charlie at least, because mm-hmm. they knew where they were. Yeah. But we didn't see them, we didn't hear them, we didn't have any problems. I don't know if you've ever been passed by a jet. No, very close. Have, no. You hear him, and you sometimes feel him if he's close because he creates a jet stream yeah. Of, yeah. behind or to wake to or turbulence. Yeah. <coughs> Maybe we didn't see him. No. See them, I suppose. I should say. And even when a, just a GA plane comes towards you, you very rarely see them, do you? Until no. they're upon you. No. I was once landing in the Midlands somewhere, and I called in to, for clearance to land, for for joining instructions, and they said, "Just maintain your height. We've got a a jet coming past from RAF Valley." And he actually came on our radio, and I heard him. And he said, I'll be with you in 31 and a half seconds. <laughs> Which I suppose only a young kid can do. Yeah. Uh, I, didn't, uh, I didn't see him, but I heard him. And the next thing, he was gone, and then they gave me joining instructions. You stay away from them, because mm. they fly very low and very fast. Yes. Uh, of course, David, you have uh, your IMC rating, don't you? Which, of course, only covers you for flights in the UK. Was that yeah. useful on your flight? Oh, it, well, the IMC gives you a lot of confidence in flying, so it was in that respect, it was good. Yeah. Uh, the weather wasn't perfect all the way, despite the fact that we went through some what should have been very good areas, mm-hmm. and the, we had bits of cloud and bits of crud and whatnot. But 
So it gives you the confidence to that you that you're okay if anything goes wrong. Fortunately, right. nothing did. Right. But had it gone wrong, if you know suddenly get caught in cloud, which can't be predicted, mm-hmm. at least you get yourself yeah. out of it. You can either do a 180 or you yeah. can get around it yeah. with some help. Were there any particular weather problems en route? We had two major uh, weather problems. Uh, one was when we landed at Ben Gurion, which was from uh, Cyprus. Actually, Cyprus was pouring with rain. Well, when we left Cyprus and flew to Ben Gurion, it was uh, it was actually quite nice. We landed at Ben Gurion, we had some lunch, and then the weather turned bad, and we were supposed to fly down to Elat, and we couldn't. We had to uh, we had to find hotels for 14 of us overnight, and uh, fly down the next day when it was uh, when the weather improved. Okay. And that was one bad one. Uh, and uh, the other one, as Sod's law has it, was on the very last day, the very last leg, leaving Avignon on the way back to Elstree via Nevers. Uh, the weather turned bad in Avignon. We just couldn't take off. Actually, the, sorry, the weather wasn't bad in Avignon. The weather was quite good in Avignon. The weather was good in London. The weather was bad in northern France, and there was a weather front coming through. We couldn't go round it. We couldn't go under it. We couldn't go over it. So we had to spend an extra day in Avignon, yes. which was actually quite nice. But by then we were getting tired, and we all wanted to be home. So we had to uh, delay by a day, and we were trying to work out how to do it, because none of us had, not all of us, I should say, some of us had uh, instrument ratings. Mm-hmm. Uh, so they could have flown home, but we couldn't. Right. So at one stage, we even talked, if the weather was staying bad, of leaving our aircraft and flying all together with instrument-rated pilots and somebody going back for the aircraft at a later stage. Okay. Fortunately, the weather changed. So those were the only gr- really bad. Okay. I remember you telling me about um, you had a, an issue with security in Elat Airport. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, when we came back to the aircraft to fly out of Elat, we'd left the aircraft there over the weekend while we were having a bit of a rest. And we all came back with our flying equipment and overnight bags. And we went through the regular Israeli security, which is very intense. Mm-hmm. And they asked us the usual questions. Did you pack the bag yourself? Yes. Have you got anything that might be construed to be an a knife or an instrument and we said yes of course we have got all our backup equipment and tools and whatnot and have you got any liquids yes of course we've got all our drink sorry you can't go in we said hang on a minute these are our aircraft we're flying our own aircraft (laughs) oh well they had no they had no procedures to handle it so the security people called the supervisor and the supervisor called the boss and eventually they relented and let us through but it was very interesting watching them trying to work out how to handle it. Yeah. They just couldn't cope with it. Yeah. They were so used to people flying commercially. Yeah. They just could, and I presume there's very little VFR flying down there. Right. So they weren't, uh, they weren't set up for it, but we managed to get through that. Now, speaking of fluids on long flights, how do you cope on your longer journey? Your longest trip was The longest hours? one was five hours, yes. Uh, let's question. just say we had uh, special equipment. <laughs> let's leave it to that. Right. Which uh, we actually, strangely enough, on the five-hour one, we didn't use. Uh, on this trip, did you uh, have a chance to land any non-air traffic control air- airfields at all? Well, originally it wasn't planned that we do that, but uh, we, we did have an interesting experience on the, uh, the last day when we eventually left Avignon after the bad weather. We flew to Nevers in the central France. And bear in mind, by this time there were only four aircraft. One of them had stayed behind and gone on his holiday somewhere else. So there were four aircraft, and they were all faster than us, so they were ahead of us. And as we're approaching Nevers, we called Nevers Approach. This is Golf Charlie Echo Echo Victor. Blank. Tried again. Blank. Tried again. Blank. Nobody came on. We didn't know what to do. 
It just so happens that I have landed at airfields that don't have air traffic, but my co-pilot, David, hadn't. He didn't quite know what to do. He was trained at Manchester, of course. They've always got air traffic. So I explained to him how you make these free calls so that everybody mm -hmm. around you knows what's going on. Yeah. The idea being that if you're on final, then nobody else comes around, or wherever you are. Yeah. And the idea also is if you take off without it, that people know that what you're doing. Uh, so we landed, and the, we saw all the other aircraft were there, but we couldn't see anybody around. All of a sudden, a guy walked over to us and said, oh, they've gone for lunch. Air traffic and the refuelers <laughs> have gone for lunch. Your friends are in McDonald's across the road. So they just closed up shop and... Uh, yeah, it turned out that one of our colleagues did have a handheld and was trying to call us, yeah. but his battery went. So he could hear us, but he couldn't transmit far enough. So we, um, and then we had to get the refueler out of his house to come and refuel us because we were desperate to get home by then. That's great. So we, uh, we made that, by which time their traffic had come back from their lunch, so yep. we took off with their traffic but not landed. So the trip of a lifetime. It was a trip of a lifetime, yes. And interestingly enough, people have said, would I do it again? And you have got another trip planned? We have got another trip planned, but I wouldn't do a long trip. I wouldn't do the Israel trip again, no, because I think it was such a unique occasion, yeah. um, particularly with my connection with Israel, mm -hmm. that once you've done a unique trip, you can't do it again. No, there were one or two people that had done it before, and I don't think it was the same for them. I don't think I would do that. But this time we're, we're, planning, to, we're planning in uh, next May to fly to Morocco. Yeah. And one thing I've always wanted to do is land in Gibraltar. Oh, yes. So we're hoping to, um, to fly. It's going with, we reckon it'll take us two days down to Morocco, and then we'll fly into Gibraltar, and then hopefully from Gibraltar into Malaga, yep. which you now can do from Gibraltar to Spain. Okay. And then we'll have a weekend with our wives in uh, Malaga. And then we'll fly home. Our wives are going easy, Jet. <laughs> You're just doing this on your own, not, a, not an organised trip? No, I don't think so. No, it's possible, it's possible that some of the others might join us. But yeah. at the moment, it's just the two of us going in. Romeo Sierra, yours and mine. Brilliant. Newly painted with a new sea of Newly I painted. I hope we'll be able to recognise it. Great. At the moment, it's a unique colour. Right. Well, thank you very much for that. Uh, tell us about your trip to Israel and uh, all the best with your trip to Morocco. My pleasure. No doubt we'll, uh, we'll see each other shortly. Yes, thank you very much. So, thanks to David for generously giving up his time to share his experiences. Uh, what a brilliant experience that must have been. But once again, it's made me determined even more so to do a special flight this year, maybe to France, like I keep promising myself every year. Uh, if you have any suggestions for subjects or if you'd like to appear on the podcast, please feel free to drop me a line. Uh, you can contact me on steve at flyingpodcast.co.uk. That's steve at flyingpodcast.co.uk. Uh, and that's it for episode two. Thanks for listening. I look forward to hearing from you and speak to you again soon. All of the music on this episode was provided by the Podshow Podsafe Music Network. Check it out at music.podshow.com.